Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn with me to the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5 says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged, but behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. So she said to me that particular day, I believe that we are living in the last days. Her comment was not exactly surprising to me. As a pastor, people have been saying to me for nearly 40 years, I believe we're living in the last days. Whenever there is a significant moral or political shift in our culture, or whenever the present seems more evil than the past, the subject of the last days surfaces, and interest in the last days begins to increase among Christians and even sometimes in the church and the culture itself. I believe we're living in the last days. Now to that statement, I usually respond, I don't just believe we're living in the last days, I know we are. Consider with me just what the last days mean in the context of the Bible. Many Christians use this phrase interchangeably with the actual event of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so when they say, I believe we're living in the last days, what they're declaring is that they believe that Jesus' second coming is imminent, that it's going to happen very, very, very soon, not just in their lifetime, but like really soon. Now, that is not necessarily how Scripture uses the phrase, the last days. The last days in the Bible is a reference to that period of time between the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and his second coming. The last days roughly began in the fourth decade of the first century, and it continues right through this morning. To date, the last days is nearly 2,000 years long, and no one knows how long it's going to last. No one can predict when Jesus will come again. Of course, the use of the word days throws people off because by using that word days, it sure does sound like a short time period that Jesus is coming only in a matter of days. And he is, but remember, remember how God measures time and how he measures time differently than we measure time. So 
Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And that means, basically, we are just now wrapping up the second day of the last days of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just now, just now in 2022. And, and those days eventually lead up to the day of his coming. Who here knows how many days remain until Jesus comes again? How many of you know how many days remain? I am so glad nobody raised their hand or shouted an answer. Because the answer is no one knows. No one knows the day nor the hour, and that's not the authority of Mike Sigmund, that's the authority of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 24, no one knows the day or the hour. Here is one thing we do know. What we know is that from the testimony of Scripture, these last days will be marked by increasing sinfulness and evil. Humanity will not get better. Did you hear that? Humanity will not get better. We will become more broken than ever before. Jesus describes this dynamic in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 12, ending with this statement. Because of the increase of wickedness, Jesus says, the love of most will grow cold. The Apostle Paul, writing to a young preacher named Timothy in 2 Timothy verse, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, writes this, that in the last days... There will be difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud. They will scoff at God. They will be disobedient to their parents. They will be ungrateful. And then this stunning statement, they will consider nothing sacred. They will consider nothing sacred. Think about our culture today. Think about what we see happening in our culture today. They will consider nothing sacred. This is both a commentary on the world in which James lived, but also a commentary on our own world. And even sometimes on churches and denominations within the world that have given up, surrendered the authority of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ. This is what God says, expect an increase in evil in the last days. And listen, expect to see the capital C church struggle mightily as it holds to the authority of Jesus and his word. Now, that all sounds very depressing and can sound very dire, but it is the truth. And as followers of Jesus, we need to embrace this truth and believe it. We need to be careful not to fall for the false teaching that this world is gonna get better and better and better, and then Jesus is going to come again. That is simply not true. It will not, and we as followers of Christ need to be prepared to live in a world that increasingly misunderstands us and at times may even reject us. Hear me when I say this. As Christians, we are living counter to the culture when we live according to and in obedience to God's word and faithfully following Jesus Christ. For that reason, we as followers of Christ need to learn how we should then live in a world that is growing increasingly sinful and as we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ who will someday 
make all things right. So the question that James answers for us in these very short verses is the question of how should we then live? Not someday, but right now. How should we be living our lives in this world as we await the coming of Jesus? And James gives us four simple answers that are very powerful as we unpack them. And the very first one is simply this, be patient, be patient. I'd love to do a poll this morning and find out how many of you are naturally patient. And I would not ask you to answer that question. I would ask the person closest to you to ask, answer that question. I would not ask myself to answer that. I would say to Jenny, how patient do you think I am? But I'm not going to ask her that question because you don't want to hear that either, do you? <laughs> Be patient, James says. James uses two different Greek words for patience six different times in five verses. Do you think he has a theme going here? Do you think there's a burden of his heart? Do you think that there's a key priority that every one of us have as we await the coming of Jesus Christ? Be patient, be patient, be patient. Be patient, be patient, be patient. In verses seven through 10, James says that we need to be patient as we wait for Jesus' second coming. Wait patiently, now listen to this, and avoid speculation about when Jesus is gonna come again. Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 24, said this before, no one knows the day nor the hour. So stop asking and stop predicting. Jesus, when are you gonna come? I don't know, you know about you as parents, but man, you know, we go on a road trip when the kids were little. It's like, oh my word, will one more girl say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now, the grandsons, especially one of them, are we there yet? No, we're on Rockvale Road. We're going from our house to Bible school. My goodness, no, we're not there yet. And you know how frustrated that can be to answer that question over and over again? Think about your father in heaven. He's already said, no man knows the day or the hour. Stop predicting, stop asking. Fill in the blank, and I'll do that for you later on, with something more meaningful than asking the question. In verse 10, James recalls the patience of the prophets of God. And, and you know those prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, think of the 12 minor prophets, Obadiah, Zechariah, Zephaniah, uh, Malachi, Joel, Amos. The prophets of God in the Old Testament, they prophesied the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. They didn't see the first coming of Jesus and they sure didn't see the second coming of Jesus. But James says they were so patient, they were faithful, they did what God called them to do and they patiently waited and actually never saw the day of his appearing. They could only imagine what the Messiah would look like. Every time someone says to me, I believe we're living in the last days, I get a little nervous. I get a little anxious. I'm a little concerned about what the next phrase is gonna be. Because for a long time, Christians have embarrassed themselves around that statement. Because when they say, I believe we're living in the last days, some Christians take it too far. 
and they buy into conspiracy theories and they repost things on Facebook and they declare who the Antichrist is going to be. Now, I have lived through a whole lot of presidents being elected and I have noticed that every president that we ever elect is declared an Antichrist by somebody in the church. Everyone. A little slow to declare some to be an Antichrist, but some are declared the Antichrist tonight, they're elected. You know that's embarrassing. Do you know that it's more than embarrassing, it's damaging? Did you ever hear the story of the boy who cried wolf? He cried wolf so many times when there wasn't one that when there finally was one, no one believed him. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we would do better to keep a tight rein on our tongue than speculate and predict and determine by our conspiracy theories and our antichrist theories when Jesus is really going to come again. Jesus says, just be patient and wait. Now, a word of caution. I've noticed that Christians who become overly zealous and impatient, impatient for the Lord's return, just come back and make everything right. Destroy all the evil, Jesus. They can also become frustrated and irritated with the sinful world in which they live. And I honestly don't believe that God wants us to be irritated and frustrated with the people who live around us. Now, I didn't always believe that. When Jenny and I were first married, she used, to, she used to comment on the vacuum that you grew up in, Mike. She called New Danville the vacuum that I grew up in, <laughs> where I was shielded from the real things in the world. Now, of course, she's from New Jersey, enough said there, you know. <laughs> we give New Jersey such a hard time, and, and those of you who are from New Jersey, we're sorry for you, but no, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> that's not right. She grew up in a farming region of New Jersey. She grew up in a sheltered environment too, but here's the deal. When we first went into ministry, we went to Baltimore, Maryland, and it is true that things happen in big cities and then maybe five, 10 years later, they make their way out to more rural areas, okay? So we're in Baltimore and we're pastoring there and when I was younger, I could lead off with a negative statement pretty quickly. I was pretty judgmental and critical. So I could pull out the sin of people and say, I can't believe that they're doing it. Can't believe she, and, and man, I could just target. And, and one day she stopped me mid-sentence. And she said, you realize, Mike, that all those sins that you are criticizing, they are not the issue. The issue is they don't know Jesus. Why would you expect, Mike, people who don't know Jesus to live any other way? They have no reason to live any other way. They have not read the word of God that you have read. They have not learned what you have learned. And so every time you're pointing and criticizing, really what they need is the Savior. She was absolutely right. I am so grateful for that day when she did that. The Holy Spirit of God convicted me, challenged me. Mike, every time you point the finger and you say, look at that sin, look at that sin, there are three fingers pointing back at you saying, 
Well, what are you doing to tell people the truth about the one who saves us from sin and gives us the power over sin? Be cautious when you become impatient with the culture around you. Be cautious. You see, James says, like a farmer who plants seed and then waits for both the autumn and spring rains as well as the harvest, we need to be patient as we wait for Jesus to come. The farmer can do nothing to force God's hand in the harvest, and we can do nothing to compel Jesus Christ to come again. The first word for patience means to wait patiently. The second word for patience is used here as perseverance. Look at verse 11 and notice that what is being commended by James is a patient perseverance like that of Job. You remember Job? He was a perfect example of someone who patiently persevered in the midst of life's hardships, in the face of incredible personal loss and intense suffering. Job never once cursed God. Now, Job had honest conversations with God. He wrestled with God. He disagreed on some things and said, God, I don't understand this. I don't think I agree with this. But he was always faithful to God. He trusted God, and God blessed him. As Job patiently persevered in the midst of some real hardships in life, look at verse 11. He found God to be both compassionate and merciful. Can I say to you, if we are willing to persevere patiently in the midst of the hardships of our lives, we will learn to know God as compassionate and merciful. No one like him. No one like him. As the culture sinks into greater sin and evil, and it will, and as we long for Jesus to come again and set things right, and he will, patience is our first and most important response as Christians. But here are three things I've learned about patience, personally. First of all, it's not easy. Would you agree with that? It's just not easy. Being patient does not come naturally to most of us. But here's the second thing I learned about patience. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you're sitting here this morning and you have confessed Jesus as Lord of your life and you have believed that God has raised from the dead, you're saved. And what that means is you've been declared righteous, you've been forgiven of your sin, and the Holy Spirit of God has come and taken up residence in you. And what that means is that you have in you the power and the capability to be patient because according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And you may say, I am the most impatient person in the world. If you are a Christian, you have resident in you the power to be patient. And all you need to do is be honest with God God, tell him you're impatient, ask him for his help, and ask him to unleash the patience that is resident in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. I found that patience is not easy. I found that it is a work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the third observation about patience. It helps to have something to do when you're waiting. It helps to have something to do when you're waiting. I hate waiting rooms. 
I hate waiting, period. And I hate waiting rooms. I like to keep busy. And so when I have an appointment at a doctor, or I used to take Aunt Janet to doctors, Jenny would always say, make sure you pack something to do in the waiting room. And I'd always take more than I needed, you know, because you never know how long. There was only one waiting room that I ever liked. I used to go to a chiropractor by the name of Cal Wanger out in Lidditz Pike. And I used to go there at half an hour early because his magazines were the best in any waiting room in Lancaster County. Why pay when you can go there and read them? It's kind of sad when I got straightened out, get it, straightened out at the chiropractor, and uh, I couldn't read his magazines. It takes you a little while, and you, haven't been, and you haven't even been in camp meeting for 14 days. Uh, 14 days, yes. When Ken Meck plants his fields, he and Esther do not go to the Jersey Shore for 12 weeks and then come home to harvest. When he plants his fields, he has a whole lot of things that have to be done that will keep him busy. Amen, Ken? And you know that's what God is saying to every one of us as Christians? Between the time and before the time of Jesus' coming, you have a lot to do. You might be in a waiting room, but there are people who need Jesus. There is ministry to be done, work to be done in the culture in which we live. Get busy and do it. Don't just sit around speculating when Jesus might come again. So, as the culture becomes more sinful and as we wait for Jesus to come, be patient. Secondly, secondly, stand firm. Look at what James says in verse 8. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The call to stand firm in verse 8 implies that as Christians, we can expect that we will be misunderstood and challenged, maybe even mistreated and persecuted. God is saying to us in the passage of Scripture through James that when this happens, do not give in, do not give up, stand firm. Let me tell you two areas where God wants us to stand firm. One area is what you believe and what I believe about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. There is no other way of salvation. He is the way. Because if you open the door and say there are multiple ways of salvation other than Jesus, then why in the world did he die on the cross? It was a senseless death. There was no need for him to shed his blood. There was no need to him to die on the cross. If there are multiple ways of salvation, but there are not multiple ways of salvation. Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior and Lord. Never give up that truth. Never negotiate that truth. Secondly, do not negotiate away the authority of God's word. The Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22 is the only inspired, infallible, that means only trustworthy, inerrant, that means without error, authoritative word of God. That means that whatever we believe comes from the Bible, whatever we believe about how to live our lives comes from the Bible, it is the authority. Do not be like the founding father, Thomas Jefferson, who decided that he didn't like some things. And so with a razor blade, he cut out miracles, and he cut out this, and he cut out that, and there were certain moral laws that he didn't agree with. Because if we open the door and say, well, you know what, Thomas Jefferson can cut out what he wants, Ray Dieter can cut out what he wants, Kyle Fisher can cut out what he wants. You know, if that's what we do, Rick Steffi, and say that every one of us get a chance at the Bible to cut out the things we want, what will be left? of the authoritative word of God. And who died and left you, king of the mountain, to decide 
what is truth and what is not. We need to stand firm on the capital T truth. His name is Jesus. We need to stand firm on the truth of God's word. And the best way to do that is to grow deeply in our relationship with Jesus. The mission statement of Grace Community Church is emblazoned on the wall when you come in the front door of the church, helping people to know and follow Jesus Christ. It is not good enough just to get across the finish line and accept Jesus so you know that when you die, you'll go to heaven. You need to put down deep roots and grow deeply to know and follow Jesus and love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, if you don't do that, then you'll be blown around by every wind of doctrine that comes down the pike. Every false teaching comes down the pike. It will start to blow you around and you won't know what you believe. But if you put down deep roots and you really grow deeply in your relationship with Jesus, when the false teaching comes, when that doctrine comes, when someone questions Jesus, when someone tells you something about the Bible that isn't true, you'll be able to say, no, that's not true. This is what I believe because you put down deep roots in Christ. Thirdly, when the culture becomes evil and as we wait for Jesus, be patient, stand firm, ready for the third one, don't grumble. Don't grumble. Say that with me. Don't grumble. Say it again. Don't grumble. Say it again. Don't grumble. Look at each other and say, no, don't, you don't have to do that yet. <laughs> do it on the way home. James 5, 9. Don't grumble against each other. Look at James 5, 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. What is grumbling? It's grumbling. It's complaining. In, in, the, in the Hebrew language, one of the definitions of grumbling is the low mutter of discontent. Doesn't that sound attractive? The low mutter of discontent. It sometimes erupts into quarreling because someone has grumbled enough that the other person is irritated enough that they begin to grumble too, and then you have two grumbling people, and two grumbling people become two quarreling people. Isn't that attractive and helpful and encouraging? The last thing the world needs are grumbling Christians. I have never once heard Someone who's looking for a church home say, I'm looking for a place where they complain a lot. I really like it when they grumble at each other. What's really cool is after the service in the parking lot, they stab each other in the back. That's where I want to go to church. Never. You got that in the world. Why would you ever want that in the church? So with grumbling, here's what God says. Number one, are you ready? Stop it. Just stop it. It is not pleasant. Number two, if you don't stop it, look at the word of God, verse nine. You will be judged. Man, ancient Israel grumbled against their leaders. Moses and Aaron grumbled about their circumstances. We don't like the food. We don't like the water. And you know what God said? Fine. Walk around for 40 years. And that's what they did. 40 years of wondering because of 40 minutes of grumbling. And you know what else God says? Look at this. The judge is standing at the door. Man, apparently God doesn't like grumbling. Just make note of that. Because judgment is imminent for the grumbler. 
When I was the overseer in the Evangelical Congregational Church, one of my jobs, and I told you this before, was to intervene in churches that were really, really difficult. And if, if, if you got to me, it meant that you were like really difficult. And I had a church three, three hours north of here. They were like, oh my goodness, 35 people. And 34 of them had the gift of grumbling. And the other was a baby and hadn't yet, <laughs> hadn't yet learned. And, and I had been up there a couple times working with them. And like, you know, I told them, I told them, we'll find a pastor for you. I thought that's going to be a minor miracle. We'll find a pastor. We'll find our own. No, don't find your own. Well, they found their own. They said, you didn't do it fast enough. Then six months after they found their pastor, they said to me, we don't like him. Can you find us a pastor? I said, Yes, I, I told you I would do that. Then they called one night and they said, we have had a horrible board meeting. We need you to come. I said, okay. I get up there and they were sharing their church. They had allowed a Latino congregation to share their church building. And I get in there and I said, okay, what's, what's the issue now? Well, they left a copier on. I said, no, what's the issue that caused the disruption in the board meeting? Well, they left the copier on. I said, what do you mean they left the copier on? Well, the Latino church, they left the copier on. It was one overnight. I said, turn the copier off. What's the problem? They had a major argument between the two churches because the Anglo congregation was upset that the Latino congregation didn't turn the copier off. Friends, that is called sin. Not, not turning the copier off. I know in Pennsylvania Dutch country that is considered sinful. It is not. You can pay the extra dollar and a half to behave that way. Let me tell you where that church is today. Dead. The people in that church who were good left a long time ago. They said, we're done with this. And the people who were left that were grumblers finally imploded with their grumbling. Now, I tell you that story to say the cause and the name of Jesus Christ was deeply damaged in the neighborhood of that church. And the people who had already had questions about Christianity pretty much felt like their questions were validated. The last thing the world needs are grumbling Christians, especially as the world becomes more sinful and we wait for Jesus to come again. Stop grumbling. Don't do it. Which leads to a fourth commendation of James. Ready? Be patient, okay? Be patient. Stand firm. Don't grumble. Read this with me. Be true to your word. Be true to your word. A lot of Bible scholars wrestle with whether verse 12 fits with verses 7 through 11 or should be tacked on to verses 13 to the end of the chapter. But I believe, and an emerging number of scholars actually believe, that verse 12 is a beautiful way to end verses 7 through 11. 
Because what you got in verses 7 through 11 are the qualities by which we should live our lives in a world that is sinful so that people can see a genuine commitment and, and witness for Jesus Christ. What better way to see that witness than to live a life that is true to our word? Look at what verse 12 says. It is a powerful statement above all, James says, my brothers do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you'll be condemned. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. You'll find it again in Matthew chapter five, verses 34 to seven. Jesus said it first. Kind of makes you wonder whether at a family gathering, Jesus and James got together and talked. And James said, you know, I like that. I'm gonna include that from my half-brother. My grandpa, Sigmund, I told you last week, had, had a problem with giving, and, and actually by the end of his life, that was straightened out. He had so many great qualities. He was such a wonderful grandfather and nurturing to me. Grandpa um, co-owned a business in the city of Lancaster called Lancaster Paint Glass back in the day. And he didn't like to sit in an office all day. He didn't like a desk. He liked to be on the road. He was a natural salesman. He loved people. And he just loved to be with people and talk to people and spend his day with people. My grandma was the same way. And so he would say, I'll take 340 East out to the end of the county and I'll just sell paint and glass. All the greenhouses that that day were glass greenhouses and barns were painted or whitewashed. And he just went out there and he sold. In the summertime, he would take me with him, and uh, he and I were just like this. I mean, really, really close. He'd take me with him, and we'd go and we'd sell things. He'd sell, and I'd observe this. Never once did I see my grandpa have anybody sign a contract. This is the way it was done, with a handshake. I remember countless times farmers saying, Lester, that sounds good to me, I like that price. Let's seal with a handshake and they'd shake hands. He'd write it down later on, get the order in, but here's the deal. They knew they could trust his word and he knew he could trust their word. We've lost that somewhat in our culture today. We even have contracts that now attorneys take to court to try to break them even though they've been signed. And this is what God says in his word that in the last days, as the sinful culture increases in its sinfulness, and as you wait for Jesus to come again, Christian, be patient. Be patient. Stand firm on the authority of Christ and his word. Don't grumble. Nobody wants to hear that. And then, please be a man or a woman who is honest and honorable, whose word can be trusted. I want to ask you a question today. Are any of these four areas a struggle for you in your life right now? Any of them? 
patience, standing firm, grumbling, being true to your word. Because if any of them are an area of struggle for you, there is one who wants to help you. And he wants to help me too. And if we're willing to break silence with him and, and just admit the area that we're struggling with, Lord, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a grumbler. <laughs> you know what he's saying? Yeah, I noticed that. Mm -hmm. Lord, I am really mightily struggling with patience right now. Going through this hardship, I, I just, man, I get so irritated, so frustrated. Lord, I, I have stumbled, man, I've said some things, made some commitments. I'm not able to keep that promise. I don't have the, how do I get out of it, Jesus? If any of these areas are areas of struggle for you, do not continue to struggle. Bring them to Jesus. And he will help you. And, and if you need someone to come alongside and help you hear Jesus and understand what he's saying, that's why your church is here. That's why we're here. That's why we love you. Let us know. We're more than happy to help you. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that you've given us very simple yet very powerful instruction about how to live in a culture that is increasingly sinful as we await your second coming, Jesus. Lord, as I read and study this passage, I realize that you want us to live in a countercultural way. You want us to show this world what it means to be patient. You want us to show this world what it means to actually believe that there is truth to stand for. You want us to show this world what it means to live without grumbling, what it means to be true to our word. You want us to shine like stars in a dark universe. Help us to do that, Lord. Help every one of us to do that. Speak clearly to every one of us who are here of those things, those areas of life that you want us to surrender to you. And we pray this together in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said. Let's. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.